Hey friends, I know how busy this time of the year is. And as much as I love home-cooked meals, sometimes there is just not enough time. But I have good news for you. Factor offers delicious, ready-to-eat meals, which can make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with your pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. There are two-minute meals, so you can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They have snacks and smoothies and more. There's a wide variety of options and 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that will help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So head over to factormeals.com forward slash swanson50 and use code swanson50 to get, you guessed it, 50% off. That's code Swanson50 over at factormeals.com forward slash Swanson50, and you're going to get 50% off. No prep, no mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Yay for that. I'll be linking over in show notes as well, but go check it out and tell me how you enjoy your Factor meals. Christian Parenting. Aloha friends, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast, powered by Christian Parenting. I am Monica Swanson, mom to four boys, podcast host and author of Boy Mom, What Your Son Needs Most From You. Here on the podcast, it's my goal to bring you practical advice and biblical wisdom for raising boys in this sometimes crazy world. You can always find show notes over at monicaswanson.com forward slash podcast. I'm so glad you're here. If you look at things 20 years ago, people overwhelmingly had at least an appreciation for so-called Judeo-Christian values, right? Values that are rooted in a Christian worldview, even if they wouldn't, you know, assent to certain doctrines that would be expected of Christianity. But they at least held certain values in common. Today, those values are going away. People now hold very different values, and it's this shift, it's this mix between secular values and Christian values, and it's a pick and choose kind of world. Hey friends, welcome back to the Boy Mom Podcast. I just was telling my family, I don't know how to say this without sounding like I'm making it up, but almost every week I just have to say, I am so excited about this episode and I just want everyone to get a chance to hear it because I think it is so important. This is so much of my heart. And you were just listening to a short clip from today's interview with Natasha Crane, who I just adore. I appreciate so much the work that she's done. Many of you probably know her name. She's written books. She has her own podcast that I'm going to point you to. I'll be linking to it in show notes. But if you like what we're talking about today, definitely listen to her podcast. This is stuff that I love so much and I want to get better and better at. And I just appreciate how articulate and comfortable and confident Natasha is talking about apologies talking about about teaching our kids to know what they believe, why they believe it, and be able to have conversations about it out in the world. And I have already said in other podcast episodes, and I say to Natasha today, that this is so important, and I know that now that I have kids in college. And so if you are raising up kids who consider themselves Christians, please pay attention to what Natasha is sharing. Please take this seriously, because 
once they launch out of your little nest, out of the comfort and safety of their home environment, and they're in a college, whether it's a Christian college, whether they're in the military, they're in the workplace, there are going to be people who come up against them, who challenge them, who question everything. And you want your kids to have a good answer for why they believe what they believe and to be able to hold on to their faith through various storms. And what I love is that Natasha makes it easy for us. She's written these books that give us talking points, that give us just all that we need, truly. She equips us so that we can learn and then we can pass it along to our kids. So if you are a brand new believer or if you just don't feel qualified for the job, trust me, you are. So I think this conversation will inspire you and equip you and I just can't wait to dive in. So without further ado, here's Natasha Crane and I talking about what it means to raise kids with a biblical worldview to equip our kids to know why they believe what they believe. I hope you enjoy. Natasha, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk with you. I have been looking forward to this and man, there's so many things I, I didn't want to hit record because I wanted to just keep chatting with you. And I was like, well, I think everyone else wants to hear the things we're talking about. So here we are. I get to share you with all my listeners. And I have a feeling a lot of people know who you are. But for those who don't, can you give a quick introduction to who you are and your family? Sure. Well, I am a married mom of three. I've been married to my husband for 21 years, and I have twins who are 12, a boy and a girl, so I qualify for the Boy Mom podcast, and I also have a younger girl. Uh, we have been homeschooling for the first time this year, and so that's been a great and wonderful new adventure for us, and I've been writing on my blog at natashacrane.com for the last 10 years and really just focused on Christian parenting and especially on apologetics and worldviews, and for those who might not be familiar with the term, apologetics is just how you make a case for and defend the truth of Christianity, so I'm really focused on those kinds of issues, and um, I've written three books, apologetics books for parents, and I'm currently working on my first non-parenting book. Mm, man, such good stuff. These are things that we talk about in my family so much. My two college sons and my husband um, just love to talk apologetics. And I was telling you before we hit record, this is an area I have so wanted to grow in. And so I love your parenting books, but I'm also super excited about the next one. And so we're going to have to cover that at the end of the conversation. But in the meantime, we are talking about the book right in front of me called Talking With Your Kids About Jesus, 30 Conversations Every Christian Parent Must Have. And while this is like the book I've always wanted, I'm so glad you wrote it. Um, tell us, first of all, what you, you, the other two book titles are. Yeah, the, the first book was called Keeping Your Kids on God's Side, and it's basically an apologetics 101. It covers 40 questions across all the different areas of God, the Bible, Jesus, truth and worldviews, and some of the science questions related to faith. And then the next book is called Talking With Your Kids About God, and those are 30 conversations specifically at the God level. So how do we know God even exists, and what's the nature of God? Those kinds of questions. And then this one, Talking With Your Kids About Jesus, this is specific to the Jesus level questions about his identity, his teachings, the resurrection, the death of Jesus, and what it all means for us as Christians. So these two books, this one and the last one, are more of the, the deep dive, and the first one's more of the apologetics 101. Mm -hmm. And I guess when you combine all three, that's 100 conversations you can have with your kids, right? <laughs> that is 100 conversations, absolutely. But so good and so important. And I hear from a lot of listeners, a lot of boy mom book readers who really don't know where to 
start in all of this. And so I am wholeheartedly sending everybody to your books and also to your podcast. So before we talk more about the book, also please tell us about your podcast because it is just awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm a new podcaster. In fact, I'm so new that I didn't even mention it when I was introducing myself. Because I don't <laughs> think right. of myself as Here a podcaster yet. Yes. Uh, but I did start a podcast in January, really just focused on this concept of faith and family in a secular world. So looking specifically at, as believers, how do we relate to a secular world in particular? Because there are so many aspects of that secular culture that impact us every day. And that's actually what the new book is about, is about the secular pressures on us. And so I talk about a variety of things on the podcast, anything from uh, critical thinking in a secular world to ideas about making the choice of homeschool versus private school for your kids. So a lot of different topics, but all kind of under this umbrella of faith and family in a secular world. I was just telling you before we recorded that the critical thinking in a secular world, um, I'll link to that as well, you know, your podcast in general and that particular episode. And then you did another one just as we're recording this last week, um, but so important. And the way you tackle these topics I mean, I'm, you're just so articulate and so you put together your thoughts so well. It's easy to understand. And I just believe that every Christian parent needs to listen and, um, and learn from you because you're just doing an amazing job. So thank you from, um, from my family. <laughs> well, you're and too kind. Just, thank you so much for that. I appreciate no, it. I, I genuinely mean it. So now we're going to talk about talking with your kids about Jesus. And you had already written two books. So clearly, I know people are loving what you're writing about and podcasting about, but why this book? Why did you want to get specific about Jesus after writing about God? Yeah, there are so many reasons that this is important. And I think that it's tempting because of the culture we're in that's becoming increasingly atheistic for people just to focus mm -hmm. on those God level questions. And they are so important. Mm -hmm. How do we know God even exists? That there's some kind of supernatural being out there. But obviously, as Christians, that's not enough. It opens the door to conversations uh, with people about Christianity, obviously, because we need some door to God before we're getting into the specifics. But so many people today have kind of a generic God belief. They'll say, oh, yeah, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, for example. And by saying that, they mean that they have some kind of belief in the supernatural, but they don't necessarily believe in any of the specifics that would be revealed by that supernatural being. So, for example, in the Bible as a holy book. And so it's really important that we help our kids to get clear about Christianity specifically, not just about God in general, but about Jesus. And, and that we give them the right ideas, some very accurate ideas about Jesus. Sometimes unintentionally, we can give our kids the wrong ideas about Jesus and the way that we talk or some of the things that we don't say. And so really, mm -hmm. that's the heart of this book is to make a case for the truth of Christianity specifically, not just God at a broader level, but getting specific to Christianity through exploring the identity of Jesus, his teachings, death, and resurrection. I love it. When we see people being interviewed, athletes or famous people, we always notice if they drop the J word, we're like, okay, it's one thing to say like, thanks to God. Yeah. <laughs> but when they start getting specific and using the J word and talking about Jesus, we get really excited. That is so true. And it is, it is such a good point because culture doesn't care if you say, hey, thanks to God. That's, that's not offensive right. to people because you could mm -hmm. mean anything by God. It can be a mm -hmm. personal force or a being, whatever you think it is. But when you get specific, when you say Jesus now, 
now you're referring to the Bible and then people start getting worried that you're going to make some kind of moral claim on their life. So it's a, it's offensive and it's specific. And that's why we have to get this right with our kids. Yes, we do. We do. I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. Well, talk to us a little bit about how the job of being a Christian parent today is different from in decades past, because I sense this and I know you're going to say it better than I ever could. So tell us about that. Yeah, things things have changed. They've changed a lot. And I think sometimes we wonder, well, has it always kind of been like this? And now people are just making a lot of it. Or, you know, maybe we just have this misplaced sense of overwhelm about it. But if you are sensing that things have changed, you're absolutely right. And you can see that in the statistics very clearly. So not to overload anyone with data, but just a couple of data points, I think, help us to understand this. If you go out and you ask people today, you know, how do you identify yourself in terms of religion? 65% of people will say, I'm a Christian. So that sounds like a lot, right? It sounds like, oh, okay, the majority, you know, more than more than half. But then if you actually do research, which researchers have, Barna in particular is a company that does this, you look into what people actually believe and you ask them questions about, you know, would you affirm this or that basic truths about uh, things that are taught in the Bible that we would believe as Christians who accept the Bible as God's word. They found that, and it depends on which study you look at, but they found that somewhere between two and 10% of people have what they would call a biblical worldview. So think about that. That's a huge gap. There's a huge, huge gap today between those who actually have a biblical worldview and are rooting their lives in the authority of the Bible versus people who somehow loosely identify with Christianity. And so when you look at that gap, that's where you really start to see that things have changed because you can compare those numbers to years past. And just in the last 10 years, the people who even identify as Christians have dropped from 75% to 65%. And the people who have a Christian world, a biblical worldview rather, have has dropped about half in, in the last uh, 20 years. So this is a giant change. And mm-hmm. it means a lot for us as parents. There are a lot of implications to that. Because even if you look at things 20 years ago, people overwhelmingly had at least an appreciation for so-called Judeo-Christian values, right? Values that are rooted in a Christian worldview, even if they wouldn't, you know, assent to certain doctrines that would be expected with Christianity. But they at least held certain values in common. Today, those values are going away. People now hold very different values, and it's this shift. It's this mix between secular values and Christian values, and it's a pick and choose kind of world. So when you see, just according to the statistics, how people have changed over the last several years, and you see how these values are changing, you start to see, okay, we're we're raising kids now in a completely different world than the one Uh in which we grew up. What do we do now? That's, That's the question. We can't change where we are, but we can respond to it better. That's fascinating stuff. And a little scary if it keeps moving in that direction as far as, you know, what that looks like for our kids and their kids. Oh, wow. Well, we want to do a good job and be intentional in what we do with our kids. And that's where your everything you do will equip us for that. Um, I loved in your introduction to this book, your analogy about house cleaning. Now, I'm going to confess that as much as I love the spiritual analogy, I also started using your language with my husband um, just about general house cleaning. I was like, I know this was deeper than house cleaning, but I have to admit, I think we need to 
to apply this also at a very practical level to our house cleaning. But talk to us a little bit about that um, and how, how that analogy can help us as parents in this area. Yeah. So in, in the introduction, I talk about the fact that I'm a very messy person. So maybe I, I have that in common <laughs> with your husband, it sounds like. <laughs> it is really hard for me to keep a clean house. But I was on Facebook one day, just kind of mindlessly scrolling as we sometimes do. And this article randomly came across my my Facebook feed that was called Five Things Tidy People Don't Do. And I thought, well, this is what I'm going to have to read right away. So I click on it and there was something there that just stood out to me so much. And for the record, it absolutely affected my cleaning too. I'm still not good at it, but it did, it did improve. So I hear you on that. But it said that tidy people don't make a mess of everything and then expect to clean it up in one fell swoop. Instead, tidy people develop these very low-grade kind of habits that are non-drastic that the author called low-grade tidying, where you're just yes. continually picking up a yes. little bit at a time. And amen. that's so, <laughs> amen. And that's so much easier than setting aside giant bulks of time to scoop up this huge mess that you've made. That's overwhelming. No one wants to do that. And so we see our houses just get messier and messier. And I thought, well, that's a really helpful tip, but it's also so valuable when we think of uh, parenting and our kids' spiritual lives. I think sometimes we look at a book like mine talking with the kids about Jesus or the three books combined, and we say, that's like a hundred conversations. You think I'm going to mm-hmm. have a hundred conversations with my kids? Are you crazy? And mm-hmm. we, we think of it as cleaning in one fell swoop, that we're going to basically go on some kind of family retreat and do this. But that's that's not the point. The point is that we should be equipped as parents to know, number one, what are the questions that are challenging my kids today? I need to know that specifically. It's not just whatever I feel like talking about with my kids or what I feel educated enough to talk about. It's what do they actually need from me? And number two, what can I tell them in response to those questions that is biblical and that is going to be valuable to them in their own spiritual journey? And so from that perspective, we can do that a little bit at a time when we're the ones who are equipped. So I always tell parents, equip yourself so that you can equip your kids over time, not so that you can dump the laundry on top of them all in one fell swoop. Yes, I love that. And I think that so often parents want to set aside, you know, a weekend or a retreat or even doing family devotions, which is a great thing to do. But I always encourage parents to look at it like, you know, we I always bring up Deuteronomy, but how God taught the Israelites, his children, to talk about these things when they get up, when they lie down, as they walk along the road. I think that's the idea of that general tidying, that, you know, low-grade talk about faith issues as often as you can and try to bring it up when you see something in the news or when something comes up in the home. Uh, You can talk about things all the time rather than set it aside for one big event, right? Exactly. And, and that's a much more powerful way of doing it for your kids too, because we only retain so much when it's mm-hmm. dumped on us all at one time, however well-meaning we might be. But when it becomes a way of life that it's just constantly woven into the fabric of your home, that your family is just a family that has these conversations. You talk about faith, you talk about worldviews, you talk about the big issues, then that becomes something that's rooted in them a lot more deeply. And at the end of each of your chapters, you do have both key points and a conversation guide. 
And I love how you do the conversation guide because it kind of has little sections and people are going to have to get the book and look for themselves. But I love how you kind of open the conversation with one question, but then you advance it, you say, advance the conversation and then apply the conversation. And I think these are clearly you put a lot of thought into these questions because they're just not your generic questions that you'll find in a, you know, family devotional or something like that. They're questions that will really give your child a chance to share honestly. I think they really leave that door open for really authentic conversations and just they're, they're super well put together. So I love that you included those. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, it was really important to me, especially that apply the conversation question at the end of the guide. And what that is, is basically a skeptic. That's, um, it's a quote from a skeptic that's rebutting mm-hmm. whatever it yep. was that I was talking about in that chapter. And that was so important for me to include because it can be easy for us to just keep feeding our kids information that supports what we believe. But then this is a way of telling them, okay, now you've heard what we believe, but let's let's hear from someone who's challenging that mm-hmm. and how would you respond based on you know what we just heard and it's an opportunity to hear it directly from someone else and and to have that conversation and it, it's interesting because right now in for my new book the chapter that I'm working on is all about deconversion and how how often we hear these high profile deconversion stories today and the way that they're presented and when you really dig into those stories so many of them talk about how they felt like in their church environment or their home environment when they were growing up, they were never exposed to the challenges of Christianity. And it's remarkable how often this comes up. And they say, you know, I never heard about this. And they have this feeling of, you know, bitterness, really bitterness and Mm -hmm. resentment that it's like, how could you not have talked to me about this before? How could you not have told me that people say that there are a lot of errors and contradictions in the Bible, for example? And so mm-hmm. we, I think there's a lot that parents can learn, especially from deconversion stories and seeing what really pushes people to the edge of losing their faith and sometimes over it. And we, we have to be willing to share these hard questions and to let our kids know that we know they're out there and it's not like we're not aware of them and, and we want them to hear them. And so, Absolutely. so yeah, those questions at the end of the chapters are really designed to get kids thinking about that. And so they know that you're not hiding anything. You're in fact, bringing the skeptics to them for conversation. Oh, so important to do. And that's always been what my husband says is, you know, the truth will stand. So ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions and the truth will stand every test. And I've said before on the podcast that my college sons have told me, you know, they are so grateful for all of the apologetics and worldview conversations and different things that they did growing up. Because even at a Christian school that's done a great job in so many ways, you know, I'm really thankful for and happy with their experience at their college. But uh, my oldest son has said that he's watched kids walk out of classes with tears and, and literally questioning everything that they've grown up with, confused, distraught. I mean, he's seen kids truly lose their faith because when they're challenged, they just weren't equipped for it. They didn't know what to do with that. And so even at a Christian school, there's going to be challenges. Your child will grow up and whether they hit the workforce or the military or college, whatever environment they're in, they will be challenged. And so how important it is that we do that in the home, that we equip them and help them dig in and find those answers. And don't just give them the answers, right? But make them wrestle with it and think and and have the conversations. Yeah, absolutely. 
it, a lot of parents have a false sense of security about Christian colleges or Christian schools yeah. like for elementary yeah. and high school. I sure. actually did a podcast episode about that in our experience at a private Christian school. In a lot of ways, you know, they can be great, but a lot of times there are problems there also. In, and especially when you get to the college level, I have heard so many stories of kids who come out of those classes, just as you're saying, and they're they're mad at their parents because they're hearing stuff they haven't heard before. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Moving on now to another topic. I would love for you to talk about the fact that Jesus often spoke on things that are misunderstood today by both Christians and non-Christians. For example, your chapter, this is something that I was just having a conversation about recently, so I love it, about judging others. Where do we go wrong on this? And how can parents better help their kids understand what the Bible says about judging others if there is ever a time in history where this is a hot topic? <laughs> yes. Go ahead, enlighten us. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. I, I think if you spend any time online, especially, you know, if you if you engage in any kind of conversations about something that is controversial, you are going to hear the words, don't judge me, don't or judge. you're going to hear the words, I'm not going to judge this because. And so people feel like it is not any one person's responsibility to judge someone else or some other situation. There's a lot of confusion on this. And a lot a lot of times it comes back to, even for Christians, uh, taking Jesus's words out of context from Matthew 7, where it says, do not judge or you too will be judged. And people stop reading right there. They say, oh, well, Jesus <laughs> says not to judge, yeah. right? But if yes. you keep reading, that one sentence is a prelude to a whole conversation, a whole teaching about not judging hypocritically. We are to take the log out of our own eye, so to speak, before we try to take anything out of someone else's eye. And so it's not saying do not judge at all. It's saying do not judge hypocritically. And other verses and passages make it clear we're to be slow to judge, to make sure we're not judging hypocritically. We have to be motivated by love, not to be right. But Jesus says, don't judge by mere appearances, judge with right judgment. So he's saying mm -hmm. there is right judgment. But we have to be mm -hmm. clear here because sometimes people use the word judge in a lot of different ways. And what the Bible is telling us to judge is to judge between what's right and wrong, which is what we call as discernment, right? So discerning between what's right and wrong based on what God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who has revealed himself and his moral will and everything for us in the Bible, based on all of that, we are absolutely to say that this is what God says about this or that when it comes to discerning between right and wrong. But what we are not to do is to judge in the sense of condemning someone. In, in other words, in terms of saying, this is what the judgment on your life will be at the end of mm -hmm. time. It's only God knows the heart. So we would never mm -hmm. be in the position to say that person's going to hell, for example. That is between them and God. What we can say is, Here's what the Bible says about X, Y, and Z. This is what God has said about the morality of this. Here's what God said about the nature of salvation. It's us saying what God has said. It's not that we're putting ourselves in some kind of position of authority. We're passing on what God has said in his authority. And that's such a huge distinction that we need to make. 
Absolutely is. And I just think right now is a good time to have some of those conversations in the home because we are so influenced by our surroundings, even when we don't realize it. And so if our kids are in a setting, if they're in school or hanging out with friends who say something over and over, you begin to believe it if you don't question it. You begin to believe it even without realizing it. And so I think it's important to have these conversations, even if you don't realize it's happening. Okay. I want to take just a moment to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and how you spent six chapters talking about the resurrection of Jesus. But for parents right now, because I try to make this as practical as we can, and if people don't have your book in front of them, can you tell us what are some of the most important concepts that kids need to understand about the resurrection, um, given the challenges of skeptics today? What are some of the most important things parents can talk to their kids about? Sure. Well, we could, uh, you know, we could talk about six chapters worth of content, but I'll just give a couple of key things know, that right? I think would just be <laughs> <laughs> a couple of key points that I think are important takeaways. And interestingly, in our homeschool right now, we're actually working through that resurrection step, section step by step uh, for my sixth graders, for my 12 year old twins. So it's been great to actually teach through the book with them. Um, but one of the biggest things that we've been emphasizing and talking about is that the resurrection is important because it's ultimately the truth test for Christianity. And I guess if, if people took nothing else away from what I'm saying in this podcast, other than that, I would be really happy because that is such an important point. I think sometimes as Christians, we we haven't really thought too much about it. And we think, yeah, yeah. And Jesus was raised from the dead and this happened. And he taught about judging and all this stuff gets mushed together. But as Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain. I love mm -hmm. this verse because it's like, it's the shortcut to the truth test. We don't have to think about, well, I've never seen a miracle in my life. So is Christianity true? Or, you know, I'm not sure about this thing over here about Jesus said, so is Christianity true? Paul tells us there's only one thing that makes Christianity mm -hmm. true or false, and that's the resurrection. Yeah. And so I've, I've been teaching my kids, we, every time we come back together, we review this idea and I said, so why is the resurrection important? And they know it's because it's the truth test for Christianity. Test. People lose their faith all the time and they walk away for reasons that have nothing to do with the actual truth test for Christianity as stated You're in so the right. Bible. And they're mm -hmm. leaving because, you know, the church is sometimes hypocritical or because the church hasn't done enough on certain issues politically, whatever it is. Those things have nothing to do with whether or not Christianity is true. And that's just the bottom line of it. And so the more that we can communicate that truth to our kids so that they know what they're seeking after, that they're seeking after truth based on the right criteria, that is one of the most important things I think we can establish for our kids in their spiritual development. This isn't some endless spiritual journey. It's here's the benchmark. Here's the test for Christianity. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the one huge point that I would say. The, the second thing uh, that a lot of people don't stop to think about in terms of the resurrection is that there, there is a lot of historical evidence for the resurrection, which sometimes people aren't familiar with at all. And that's really what those chapters in my book focus on is talking about the historical evidence and the different explanations that have been offered for that evidence in terms of just naturalistic explanations that are not actually a miracle, like, well, the disciples lied or they were mistaken, things like that. So you can talk about those things. But at the end of the day, if you don't believe that God exists, you're never going to concede that the best explanation for the historical data is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. 
So this is important to understand because some people will just say, well, it's impossible. A resurrection doesn't happen. Dead people don't come back to life from the dead. I've had a skeptic say to me before, I know from science that dead people stay dead. But that's just looking at it from a naturalistic perspective, a perspective in which nothing exists outside of nature. So really the possibility of a resurrection comes back to whether or not God exists. If God exists, of course Jesus could come back from the dead. Of course, because God could choose to do that. It doesn't necessarily mean he did. Then we have to look at the evidence. And again, that's what the book talks about. But people will rule out the possibility of the resurrection because they assume beforehand that God doesn't exist. And this is why it's reason number one why parents need to be able to talk about the evidence for God's existence with their kids. Because the truth of Christianity and the resurrection as that truth test goes all the way back to the question of how do we know that God exists? How can we be confident of that? And that's really what my second book got at, the talking with your kids about God is mm-hmm. what is the evidence for God's existence? So I know that sounds like a big mouthful and it gets kind of philosophical, but it's really just to hopefully get people thinking about how these questions are all very interrelated. And when people rule out the possibility of God's existence, they're of course going to rule out the possibility of the resurrection. So we start with the evidence for God's existence, and then we go on to the historical evidence for the resurrection. Such important things. And I know you mentioned that you've been homeschooling this last year, but I feel like I want to touch on the idea here that this isn't stuff just that homeschoolers have time to talk about, you know, I think some people imagine, oh, if you're homeschooling, you can set apart hours of your day to talk about apologetics and the Bible. But you were doing this before you homeschooled. And I think next year you might not be homeschooling one of your kids. So I want to encourage people listening who are not homeschoolers. This is stuff you can talk about, right? Maybe do you mind just giving a word of encouragement um, along those lines, how and when and what this looks like? For sure. That is so true. Like I said, I had never homeschooled before this year and we were having lots of these conversations. Now that's not to say that, you know, homeschooling doesn't make it easier sometimes because if you can work this into your daily schedule, that of course homeschoolers can do that. It's it's kind of a no-brainer that you can do that if you're a homeschooler. But the, the key, if you're not a homeschooler, like I said earlier, is to get equipped with the knowledge yourself. If you're sitting here listening to this and you're new to this kind of whole thinking about apologetics and stuff, I'm pretty sure you're thinking right now, oh my gosh, how would I ever know to talk to my kids about philosophical objections to God's existence or something like that? It <laughs> sounds like like crazy and out there and very academic and stuff, but it, it's really the, the basics of being able to give a reason for the hope that is within us, as we're told in 1 Peter 3.15. So it's not, should we be doing this? It's, we need to be doing this. How then do we work it into our days? And it sounds overwhelming when you don't know the content, you haven't started to look into it. But honestly, once you do start to get equipped yourself, then you will Mm -hmm. see the opportunities to talk about this stuff all the time. You will hear things on the news that will touch on these topics, and then you bring it to your kids and say, you know, hey, I I heard this. What what do you guys think about that? Or you can show them an article or a social media meme, anything that comes Mm -hmm. your way where it's like, how would you respond to this? You know, here's just an example that comes to mind. I saw uh, a Facebook friend of mine post this the other day, and she's sort of the uh, opposite end of the worldview, I stick, I guess you might say for me, she's, you know, she's an atheist and uh, kind of an atheist new ager, however that might work together. And she posts There's a lot of, of stuff and she, she posted this image and it was basically saying that 
uh, it's more virtuous to be an atheist who does good things than it is to be a Christian who does good things because God told you to. So think about that one for a minute. It, just yeah. multiple layers that can be peeled back there in terms of the assumptions and what do we mean by virtuous and how do we even have a basis for calling anything virtuous? There's, <laughs> totally. I mean, there, there are many <laughs> that layers there. was my first there. thought. Yeah, there are so many layers to peel back there. And so I take that image, I print it out, and that's what we're going to be talking about next week um, in in our, our logic and worldview class that, that we're doing in homeschool. But you don't have to have a homeschool class to print out a little meme from social media and bring it to dinner and say, what do you guys think of this? Do you, do you think that's right? Do you not think it's right? And why? And have those conversations. So the opportunities are really everywhere around you, but you won't won't see them. They won't even be on your radar until you mm-hmm. start getting equipped with uh, th- this kind of knowledge yourself. So I- in terms of the encouragement, I would say, just know, take you can take one step forward into starting to learn. You don't have to plunge into like thousands of pages or every podcast that's ever been recorded on apologetics. Just think of one thing you want to do. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a book you get. Maybe it's a podcast you listen to. If you Google apologetics and you, you look for your favorite medium, whatever, it's apologetics books or apologize podcasts. There are so many things out there and just use that as a starting point and whatever you're learning, share it with your kids and your kids will forever benefit from that. It's not too hard. I promise. No, I think you're absolutely right. And, and again, just speaking from that place of having a couple kids in college, I know how busy life is and how our days just can fly by. And yet this is one of those things I just, my heart is for no one to regret, to look back and go, how did we miss that? You know, I mean, how many times are we watching Netflix or surf videos here in our home? And I think for all the time of family, cause you know, yeah, we're busy, but we find time, don't we? We find time to do, mm-hmm. to do the things that we, that entertain us or that we enjoy. And so I just want to encourage anyone listening to really take this seriously. I don't want you to regret it. I want you to be at that place where you're kids are in college and they are equipped and they are having great conversations. And I think what you said is so important that it doesn't take, you know, being, being well-trained for years and years, you can learn something today and pass it on to your kids. And, and that is what I love again about your book and about all of your books. And it's as easy as that. Read a chapter, moms, read one chapter and then use the discussion questions in the book to talk to your kids. And so this is so helpful and so important and probably not much could be more important than this topic with your children. So Natasha, I am so, so grateful. There's more I could talk about. So I would love to have you back on another time where we can continue this conversation. I have a feeling people might have some questions they'd like us to follow up with. So I invite listeners to leave a question in uh, the show notes for this podcast. Of course, I'm going to send them to your podcast as well. But as far as maybe raising boys specifically goes or anything along those lines, leave questions and maybe Maybe we can have Natasha back on another time, but I've kept you long enough. So if people want to just find and follow you, do you mind sharing one more time where they can do that? Sure. And yeah, I'd love to come back on and and talk about any questions that your listeners have and specifically from a boy perspective, because there are some really interesting differences um, that that I've noticed actually with my own kids. So I'd love to talk more about that. But uh, you can find all the information about my books and my blog and podcast at uh, natashacrane.com. And my last name is spelled C-R-A-I-N, not like the Mm -hmm. bird. 
so natashacrane.com. Awesome. We will sh- link to that in show notes as well. I thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. I am inspired. I am super excited. So I hope everyone else feels the same way. But thank you, Natasha. Thank you so much. Aloha. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation nearly as much as I did. And you can find show notes and links to anything we mentioned um, over at monicaswanson.com forward slash episode dash 116. And guys, please do leave any questions over there on show notes. Like I said, I would love to have Natasha back. So if you have specific questions, if things have come up in conversations with your kids, let me know and we will have her back and tackle some more. Okay. So many more great episodes coming up as we wrap up summer. Can you believe we're nearing the end already? But I just appreciate you taking time to be with us here. And I hope you'll spread the word about this podcast with your friends. And you can always take a screenshot of this episode and just share it to your stories on Instagram or anywhere on social media. I appreciate that so much. Okay, guys, God bless you. Have a wonderful rest of your week. And until next time, aloha. Aloha.